0: As Joseph Smith reported his visions and revelations designed to restore the New Testament church, another preacher living nearby sought the same goals but through very different means. Despite the fact that both were restorationists, each viewed the other as an error. Roseanne Benson, author of Alexander Campbell and Joseph Smith, 19th Century Restorationists, explains the similarities and contrasts between Joseph Smith and Alexander Campbell. Joseph reported an open heaven with divine communications and angelic visitations, restoring knowledge and priesthood powers. Campbell claims the heavens were closed, and only through a strict reading of the New Testament could Christ's church be re-established in the 19th century. The two religious leaders never met, but their lives and pursuits intersected in multiple ways. Roseanne Benson opens the door on this fascinating, if not short-lived, competition. Welcome to LDS Perspectives Podcast, where we interview amazing LDS scholars about Mormon history, doctrine, and
1: culture. Welcome to LDS Perspectives Podcast. I'm Brian Hales, and I'm here today with Roseanne Benson. Roseanne has a PhD from Southern Illinois in community and public health and a master's in exercise science. So she comes to us from the healthcare profession, but she also has a master's degree in ancient Near Eastern studies from BYU. She's now residing in Florida, where she is a coach in lightning aquatics. What is that?
2: West Florida Lightning Aquatics. It's a year-round club swimming team.
1: Well, the reason that we've invited her to be with us today is that she is the author of a brand new book entitled Alexander Campbell and Joseph Smith, 19th Century Restorationists for our listeners, you may not be very interested right now in Alexander Campbell, but stay with us because as we talk about his intersection with Joseph Smith at the very beginning of the organization of the church, I think you'll be intrigued by how he impacted Joseph Smith and some of those early movements. Roseanne, you wrote obviously a very thick book on Alexander Campbell. Most people don't know who he was or why he's important. Can you just give us a little background?
2: Well, it's really interesting. If you say Sidney Rigdon, a Campbellite preacher, everybody's like, oh yeah, but they don't realize that that meant that he was a follower of Alexander Campbell, and they don't realize that Alexander Campbell was also starting a restoration group. And so that's who Alexander Campbell is, and that's what it means that Sidney Rigdon was a Campbellite preacher.
1: Now, the subtitle on your book is 19th Century Restorationists. And in the book, you wrote, Alexander Campbell and Joseph Smith both called their religious work Restoration. But how different were their methods? Can you give us a couple of illustrations of how the two differed as they considered themselves Restorationists?
2: Their foundation is very different. Alexander Campbell is going to come out of Enlightenment philosophy that's governed by reason and logic and rational reading of the scriptures. Whereas Joseph is going to come out of what we call at that time enthusiasm. That's visions and visitations and revelations and miracles and what some consider the extraordinary gifts of the Spirit. And so you have two very divergent directions. Joseph Smith is going to be expanding with new revelations to the Old Testament and the addition of scriptures, whereas Alexander Campbell is trying to compress things into the New Testament and particularly what's in the epistles so that Christianity can unite and bring forth the millennium. And so you've just got enlightenment versus enthusiasm, reason and logic versus visions and revelation, downsizing versus upsizing. And it's just foundationally and fundamentally different.
1: What did Campbell think of enthusiasm and Joseph Smith's approach to restorationism?
2: He thinks enthusiasm is emotionalism, contrary to rational, reasoned reading of the scriptures.
1: And we just remind the listener that enthusiasm for Campbell involved the visions and revelations, which are really foundational to Joseph Smith and his restoration. Now let's talk about a couple other vocabulary words. One is restorationism and primitivism. Tell us, what each of those words mean, and how they may have been treated differently by both Joseph Smith and Alexander Campbell.
2: Well, restorationism means that in this context, means that you're trying to go back to the pure beginning of Christianity, that something has been lost or changed. So it's acknowledging some kind of an apostasy. So we're on the same ground there. But primitivism has an additional layer that part of which is common to both and part of which is not. For instance, primitivism in its technical term means sola scriptura, which means that the basis of your priesthood comes from the scriptures. But it also means that you're going back to the primitive church. So Joseph Smith in the sixth article of faith is talking about the offices of the primitive church, But his pure beginning goes back to Adam and Eve or even further in pre-existence. So he and Alexander Campbell have different ideas on primitivism.
1: Let's talk about another word that may be less of a concern to Latter-day Saints today, but was definitely on the minds of the earliest saints, and that is millennialism. Can you tell us what that would mean to both Alexander Campbell and to Joseph Smith?
2: Millennialism is the crowning hope of Restorationism. In Alexander Campbell's mind, he is what we call a postmillennialist. In other words, with this new land and this constitution, we can create the millennium. And at the end of that time, Christ will come. At the end of a thousand years of peace, Christ will come. So again, he is a postmillennialist. Christ comes at the end of the thousand years of peace. Whereas Joseph Smith is going to talk about the destruction of Babylon prior to the second coming of Christ and the creation of the millennium. So he's a premillennialist, meaning that the millennium is ushered in with power and authority of Christ. At that same time, you also have Miller who's saying that the millennium, he's got a particular date And some young men are gonna come and ask Joseph Smith about that. And he's gonna say, there were some errors in his calculation and there's a lot of things that have to take place first. The millennium is on everyone's mind at that time.
1: Alexander Campbell said, if Christianity was persecuted by its enemies, it was corrupted by its friends. What do you think about that? And would Joseph have agreed?
2: Yeah, what he's referring to in that particular quotation is uh, he's complaining about the growth of post-primitive church isms like Calvinism and Arminianism and Arianism and Socinianism and Trinitarianism and Unitarianism, Deism, Sectarianism, and so forth. He claims that his restoration is more ancient. So he's going back to the primitive church before these isms were created. He just wants biblicism, New Testamentism, and Joseph Smith would have agreed with him on the growth of those isms as being false ideas. And he would have liked biblicism, but not just New Testamentism.
1: That's really interesting. Now, Campbell was a very powerful personality, Tell us how he became known and then also would he have been known more for what he was against or for the things that he was advocating?
2: Alexander Campbell emigrates to the United States in 1809. He's about 21 years old and in 1810 he begins his preaching career and preaches 106 sermons that first year. By 1812 He is thinking about baptism and realizing that the word has been transliterated instead of translated. And so he is going to make a big deal about the fact that baptism means immersion. By 1816, he is giving speeches to the Baptist community and trying to reform their thoughts on other areas. In the eighteen twenties, he's going to begin the Christian Baptist, and in the Christian Baptist, it's a monthly publication, and he can write all of his stuff. So Alexander Campbell begins his initial foray into reform and restoration, and one individual called him a fly swatter, and that's a Churches of Christ individual, not a Mormon, that's, that said that. So he begins with reform of his original church, which was the seceder Presbyterians. Then he becomes baptized and associates himself with the Baptist Church, and again, he's trying reform. By 1820s, though, he is going to advocate for the restoration of the ancient order of things. And he's going to write 32 essays in his monthly publication, The Christian Baptist, on that particular idea, how you restore the ancient order of things. He's a debater, so he's well-known regionally, and then he becomes pretty well-known internationally because he debates Robert Owen, who is a wealthy, Welsh-born industrialist who wants to create these small little utopian, godless cities with communalism. And that's when he becomes really well-known. But you ask the question, is he more known for what he... Fought against or or what he advocated. I think initially he was pretty robust in his criticism. By 1830, he quits writing The Christian Baptist and begins The Millennial Harbinger. And I think he changes his tone because he realizes that we've got to create Christian unity because he wants to bring forth the millennium. So I think his main thrust, his innate thrust, is denominational unity.
1: You mentioned that Alexander Campbell had been referred to as a fly swatter. Would you see in Joseph Smith's actions anything of that nature as he brought forth his version of restorationism?
2: I think it's very different because Alexander Campbell begins within Protestant denominations. And so he's trying to reform and restore within something that is already there. Joseph Smith is starting fresh. And so, no, I don't think you see that in Joseph Smith in in the same way. Although you do see him correcting individuals who teach things incorrectly.
1: One of the fascinating things that I read in your book, and it's almost kind of a sidebar observation, but you referred to how Joseph Smith was born into a unique religious environment there in America, especially when compared to Europe. Do you think if Joseph Smith had been born in Europe that he could have been successful in creating a new church? Or do you find the circumstances there in Vermont, New York, and Pennsylvania to have been kind of unique to
2: allow that to occur? Well, I think both Joseph and Alexander are at the perfect confluence in a revolutionary new country, got the cross currents of freedom, democracy, the Enlightenment, religious evidence-seeking skeptics, religious liberty, religious fervor with a second great awakening. It's like the stars were aligned and that could only be in the United States.
1: So did they ever meet and what were some of the battlefields where they clashed?
2: They never met personally, but they conflicted right from the get-go. When the missionaries come into Kirtland, Ohio, uh, many from Campbell's movement, Joined And that just devastated these small congregations in Ohio. And the missionaries introduced new scripture, the Book of Mormon, the extraordinary gifts of the Spirit, the extraordinary offices found in the primitive church. Sidney Rigdon, who is a prominent minister for Alexander Campbell, is going to join and some of his congregations converted. Joseph Smith and his followers from New York and Pennsylvania move into these small towns. And they just kind of upset the status quo, the social system. And Alexander Campbell is going to publish his uh, critique of the Book of Mormon titled Delusions. And then you get a war kind of going between the Millennial Harbinger and LDS publications, The Messenger and Advocate and the Evening and Morning Star and Joseph Smith had a revelation about Zion, and so he's moving people from Ohio to Missouri. And some families, you get some people joining and other people not joining. And it's just a complete disruption of everything that was going on in Ohio. And they're small towns. And so I think those were some flashpoints. And then a year later, Joseph Smith is going to have revelations on the three degrees of glory. I mean, it's just too much.
1: So they clashed doctrinally, and then it spilled over into the press. Can you name just a few of Campbell's followers who later became very prominent Mormons and anti-Mormons?
2: Some of Campbell's followers who became prominent Mormons are individuals like Sidney Rigdon and Frederick G. Williams, who became Joseph Smith's counselors in the first presidency. Orson and Parley Pratt, Orson Hyde, and Lyman White, who became apostles and members of the Quorum of the Twelve. Levi Hancock, who became a member of the Quorum of Seventy. Edward Partridge and Noel K. Whitney, who became bishops in Ohio and in Missouri. Isaac Morley and Titus Billings, who became counselors. John Murdoch, who became a prominent missionary. And then you have the Snow family, which includes Eliza, who comes a little bit later, but She is pretty prominent as the second general president of the Relief Society and then her brother, Lorenzo, who becomes the fifth president of the church. And so it's like a who's who in early Mormonism leadership that came from Alexander Campbell's Disciples of Christ. And so for these small communities, this just leadership is an incredible asset to Joseph Smith and I'm sure was devastating in those small communities. Uh, Some individuals that became prominent anti-Mormons would have included Philastus Hurlbut, Eber Howe, and then everybody knows the story of Simon's writer.
1: What about the 1832 tarring and feathering of both Joseph and Sidney? You mentioned that in your book, and I wondered how closely was this tied to the Campbellite movement Do you think there was any direct ties to Campbellite leaders, or how would they have been associated if they were at
2: all? I need to tell you that Campbellite would have been considered by Alexander Campbell a pejorative. He would prefer to be called Disciples of Christ. And so the followers of the Disciples of Christ, likely some of them were involved in the tarring and feathering in March 1832, They were disguised with blackened faces and it was about 25 or 30 from some of the small towns in that area and they gathered to seek revenge. The revenge had to do with the fact that you've got so much disruption of the social fabric and the devastation of many of these small Disciples of Christ churches. And so the mob is made up from those who felt they'd fallen victim to a scheme. And the scheme is likely the one that Simon's writer refers to in that he had read some of the things that Joseph Smith was going to do in Missouri that had to do with creating Zion, a communal sort of society where it includes not only your spiritual dedication, but also your material dedication. And he thought that was a scheme for Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon to get rich. And so some of them feel like they've been schemed against, so some are apostate Mormons, others who had family members who joined with the Mormons and others just thought it was an opportunity to get rid of two troublemakers, two problem makers and tarring and feathering is kind of frontier justice, I guess you could say, but you had some people that were a little bit over the top because Joseph Smith mentions actually that they considered castrating him or giving him poison. So for some people, it was more than just a lesson. It was, it was the contemplation of murder.
1: So tell us about the article called Delusions that Alexander Campbell wrote that includes what is probably the first real book review of the Book of Mormon.
2: Yeah, it's real interesting. Joseph Smith is in Kirtland for one week and Delusions comes out in the Millennial Harbinger. And it's Alexander's critique of the Book of Mormon, which is interesting, grateful that he read it. It's interesting, when Delusions is published in pamphlet form, it takes on a much more descriptive title. It becomes Delusions, an analysis of the Book of Mormon with an examination of its internal and external evidences and a refutation of its pretenses to divine authority it becomes a much more descriptive title. Initially, Alexander Campbell is that this impudent knave, that's what he calls Joseph Smith, has written this book, and he considers it kind of naive because he sees all of these anachronisms and other problems, what he considers doctrinal problems with the Book of Mormon. As early as 1833, you get Philastus Hurlbut, writing some things about joseph smith that are very uncomplimentary he gets given money by some of the local people to go back east and dig up dirt on the smith family so falacis hurlbut discovers or hears about the spalding manuscript manuscript lost and decides this is the source and then you get him selling his research to eber howe and Eber Howe is going to write Mormonism unveiled and then in the 1840s you're going to get this idea of stolen doctrine coming from Walter Scott and Adamson Bentley. Walter Scott's an old friend of Sidney Rigdon since the early 1820s. Adamson Bentley is uh, Sidney Rigdon's brother-in-law. Walter Scott is going to claim that Joseph Smith stole doctrine from Alexander Campbell. Adamson Bentley is going to say, you know, I think I remember that Sidney talked about digging up some gold plates. Then Alexander Campbell is going to kind of conflate this whole thing. He's going to write some new things. In the Millennial Harbinger, quoting Eber Howe, this idea that Sidney Rigdon helped write the Book of Mormon kind of becomes his new idea, but for him I don't think it really matters. His whole purpose is to discredit Joseph Smith, and so the end justifies the means. So whether Joseph Smith is the single individual that wrote it, the naive Individual that would write this or if Sidney helped him write it if he can smear them both at the same time He's good with that. It's interesting how this is all come full circle in 2002 you get Craig Blomberg from the Denver Seminary writing an article is Mormonism Christian and he posits that if we could say if we would admit that Joseph Smith got doctrine from Alexander Campbell via Sidney Rigdon, we could be considered Christians because the disciples of Christ are a Christian movement.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Who would have been more bothered by that assessment, Joseph or Alexander?
2: Yeah, I think they both would have been very offended by that whole idea.
1: Well, it's been great to have you with us today. Roseanne, do you have any parting statements on the relationship between Alexander and Joseph or anything else associated with the disciples of Christ, the followers of Alexander Campbell?
2: Alexander Campbell was well-known in his day. He had between 250 and half a million followers in his lifetime. He was much bigger, much more influential at that time. I think he made a couple of important contributions. One is how important unity was so that we could create the millennium and I think it was devastated with the Civil War. In 1830 he joins with Barton Stone at the end of 1830 and Barton Stone, although he's also a restorationist, comes much more out of enthusiasm, yet he doesn't want to create another sect as he calls them. And so the two of them join into one denomination, the Disciples of Christ and the Christians. And so that's where that joining together came. So I think his initial thrust, like I said, is about unity. He just couldn't bear Joseph Smith's additional scripture, the extraordinary offices, and revelation, and so on. But I think his other really important contribution is that he realized that baptism is a transliteration rather than a translation. So the idea that you can't sprinkle was very clear to him. Infant baptism is not the Lord's baptism. He learns that in 1812. And so I think this is really important that in his New Testament, he changes the word baptism to its translated meaning, which is immersion. And it cannot mean to sprinkle. It is used anciently as a ship was baptized when it sank that was the word the greek word baptizein was a sinking ship it could not mean anything else other than immersion and so in his new testament that he produces it's john the immerser it's not john the baptist
1: Fascinating. It's been great to have you with us. We would like to recommend to our listeners her new book that's been published by BYU Press and Abilene Christian University Press. Alexander Campbell and Joseph Smith, 19th century restorationists. Thanks so much for being here.
0: Be sure to check out ldsperspectives.com to subscribe, catch up on past episodes, download transcripts, and find show notes. LDS Perspectives podcast is not affiliated with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The opinions expressed represent the views of the guests or the podcasters alone. While the ideas presented may vary from traditional understandings or teachings, they in no way reflect criticism of LDS church leaders policies or practices.